Here we go. It's Rumination Thursday on Law and Gospel on this September the 29th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. I'm sorry, 2022. Almost had the wrong year. Boy, is this year going by fast. And unfortunately, I'm by myself today. Wes Reimnitz is on assignment. However, his task, he accomplished very well, as he does every week, in giving me an article that we would be talking about with him. So I'm going to talk about it by myself today. But Wes is very good at finding these articles and then dealing with them. And these articles always are talking about the state of Christianity in our United States and in the whole world. Every two years, Ligonia Ministries works with Lifeway Research to evaluate the theological temperature of the American church. And this year, their study results show that not just Americans, but evangelicals in particular are increasingly muddy on core truths, such as the nature and character of God, the reality of human sin, the role of the church in the world, and the exclusivity and divinity of Jesus Christ. So maybe you need to understand how the survey defines the term evangelical. An evangelical is a Christian believer who normally meets four criteria. The first is that the Bible is the highest authority for what someone believes. Number two, that it is important for non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Number three, that Jesus' death on the cross is the only sacrifice that removes the penalty of humanity's sin. And number four, that only those who trust in him alone receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So that definition is a wonderful theological start. But when you take a look at what they believe, the results go quickly downhill, downhill from there. For example, nearly half of evangelicals agreed that God learns and adapts to different circumstances. And that's in stark contrast to the biblical doctrine of his unchanging nature or what we theologically refer to as is immutability. 65% of evangelicals, they say that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. That denies the doctrine of original sin. And with it, therefore, the very reason that people need salvation in the first place. We believe, teach, and confess 
that we are born in sin, as the Bible teaches, and that baptism, for example, forgives that sin. Even though we continue to sin, we are not held accountable for it in the long run, namely in heaven. Now, 56% of evangelicals agreed with the idea that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. See, that's a teaching of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America that we don't even consider is not even Christian, let alone Lutheran. This is in contrast to Jesus' words in Matthew. Without Jesus, no one knows the Father. One of the most stunning results of the survey had to do with the topic of Jesus Christ's divinity. When asked whether the evangelicals agreed that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God, 43% of American evangelicals answered yes. And two years ago, that number was at 30%. So it increased 13% that evangelicals, they don't believe that Jesus was God and is God. Even if we generously allow for some confusion in the phrasing of the questions and what they implied, this survey painted a bleak picture. People who claim the title of evangelical, a title that long ago was defined, at least in part, by adherence to a Christian historic belief, stand a good chance of believing humanity is basically good at birth, that God is not concerned with how you worship or its doctrine being particularly Christian, and that though Jesus was a good teacher, he was not God incarnate. Now, it's worth noting that these failures on the part of some evangelicals are not because they have a low view of Scripture. 95% of those surveyed still agree that the statement that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. So what's the implication? Is that they simply don't know what it teaches, or they haven't been taught, or they haven't cared enough to learn. I just read another article about a woman who was complaining to her pastor, why are we saying the same liturgy every week in our liturgy in worship? She thought that was kind of boring. So the pastor began to ask her questions about what she believed that the liturgy espouses. 
and she agreed with what the liturgy was saying. And then he took some time and went through the liturgy with her to help her understand how wonderful that liturgy can be, even though it's said every week. She finally remarked, how come I am not being taught this regularly? So she came to understand how important the liturgy is. For example, at the end of a communion service, we sing the song that was heard in the temple when Jesus was held in the arms of a man who was told that he would not die till he came to meet the Messiah. Now let the Lord depart me in peace, for I have seen the King. That makes a big difference when you're taking a look at the liturgy to understand what it's really saying. In fact, in many corners of evangelicalism, it is assumed that doctrine doesn't matter. This can take at least two forms. The one form is hyper-emotionalism. The idea here is that God will settle for our sincerity and our, our, our affection, even over and above whether or not our beliefs are true. That's really found in a lot of Americans, that what God looks at is how sincere we are, not what we believe. Or there is a hyper-politicization, one that assumes it really matters whom you vote for and what, you gr what group you belong to, not what you believe about the essential truth of the gospel or the claims of Christ. Now, I can tell you that I pastored a congregation where the majority of individuals were Democrats, but they did not believe that abortion was correct or homosexuality or gay marriage. They were very strong in believing the word of God. Then why were they Democrats? Well, because of the unions that have brought many of them jobs. And so they saw in the Democrats a place where their lifestyle could be increased, but they did not believe what a lot of Democrats today believe. In reply to this, Jesus was very clear. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. It was for this reason that Jesus, as the divine Logos, L-O-G-O-S, which means the word of God, came into the world to testify to the truth because it's only the truth that sets us free. 
That is a huge distinction between law and gospel, where many people think that our good works are what set us free from hell. No, it is whether or not we have faith in the words of Jesus and believe his promises. In fact, in the Old Testament, idolatry is portrayed not only as worshiping a false god, but worshiping a false idea of who God is, such as was the case with the golden calf incident. Remember, that's when the people of Israel were really impatient that Moses hadn't come down from Mount Sinai. And so to replace the God of Sinai with whom they were quite afraid, they put together a golden calf from their jewelry and began to worship it. So it's interesting to note that that was a form of idolatry, the golden calf incident. Now, a bright spot in this survey is what it revealed about the topics and moral issues. 91% of evangelicals agreed that abortion is a sin and 94% agreed that sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. Although that conclusion is muddied by another 28% who agreed that scripture's condemnation of homosexual behavior does not apply today. Now, there's no doubt that there are laws from the Old Testament that don't apply to us today. Those are called the ceremonial laws. We don't follow them. We don't circumcise our male children as a spiritual understanding. We don't sacrifice animals. We don't have to pay God anything in order to be saved. So that's where people are saying that all those verses against homosexual behavior do not apply to us today. Well, we'll never agree with that. Now, there's never a chance that we have a clear sense of who God is. His all-powerfulness, and his immutability, his character and work in the world, how he sees us and what he requires of us. We will not understand that without a biblical understanding of who Jesus is and the absolute authority he wields over all creation. And so it's not a surprise that there are evangelicals, some of them, who believe in evolution rather than creation. In other words, the Bible is very clear 
that all things were created in six 24-hour days, not over millions of years. So if your thinking is rooted instead in only political allegiances or some vague notion that God is nice, we will have simply obtained a form of godliness, but deny its power. Now, the article talks about that the person who helped do this study, John Stone Street, serving as president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. He wrote, once in a meeting I attended, a Christian leader quipped, if we could just get all the Christians saved, we'd be in good shape. The results of this study show it's time for many so-called Christians to repent, for many churches to renew their commitments to their confessional books, their catechism, and the Bible, and for all of us who claim Christ to commit our hearts and minds to know who he is, who he has revealed himself to be. So this particular survey is quite negative in giving people an understanding of who God is. And this is among evangelicals. Uh, many of them are Southern Baptists or belong to denominations that teach proper doctrine in the area of morality, etc. But many of their members simply don't agree with what is being said. Need to take a little drink of water there. My mouth was getting dry. But that's a real problem that we have. In fact, it kind of fits with Sunday's lesson that we're going to be talking about. And that is about Habakkuk. And what does Habakkuk complain about? He's complaining about the fact that many of his people think that God does not hear their prayers or that he is idle. In fact, you can see whether someone believes that by asking them this question. Was there a time when God did not hear your prayer. And you will be surprised how many Christians say, yes, there was a time when I prayed to God and he did not hear me. It could be due to various circumstances. Maybe their child was in a car accident and you prayed that he would be healed, but instead he dies. Well, people will say, 
God was not listening to me. And he is idle in what was being said. Well, is that true or not? There's something I've said a number of times on this program, but I want to say it again because it fits in with what we are saying. And that is, does God always answer our prayer? And the answer to that is yes. He always answers our prayer. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and they were told that a Messiah would come who would save the world, Eve thought that Cain was the Messiah, that he was the one that had come to save the world. But she was a couple of thousand years early. Remember what the Bible says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us from the curse of the law, which said in the day that you sin, you shall surely die. That's what was being said. So we have a teaching in our church that God always answers prayer. But how can we explain that? How can we explain that even though at times you think that God is not answering your prayer, he still does? Habakkuk kind of explains that. And I'll just do it in a brief way. There are two kinds of prayers. And I was actually taught this by a listener to the radio program when I said that God answers prayer by yes, no, or wait. And she phoned up and said, no, pastor, I disagree with you. God always answers our prayers properly. And I said, I don't understand what you mean by that. And she explained, and I've used it ever since. On the one hand, we pray for things that God has promised. So for example, when we baptize an infant, we don't say in the prayer, and we hope that you will give this infant the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, not knowing whether or not he will do that. No, the promise is clear. It's taught by Peter at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. When a person is properly baptized, they get the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's one kind of prayer, that when you pray for something he has promised to give you, you don't ask God, hopefully, to give it. You know he will give it because he promises it. But then when you pray for something for which he has not given you a promise, when I was young and I learned to drive, I wanted to buy a motorcycle. 
but I was still living at home under my parents and they did not want me to buy a motorcycle. So I had to wait until I got married and then made my own decision then. Well, was God saying no to me? No, he was still answering my prayer because in the prayer, what did I say? May I have a motorcycle if it be your will. And guess what? It was the will of God not to give me a motorcycle. That's how he heard my prayer. But the Christian can rest assured that in time, any prayer that we ask where God has made a promise, we don't have to worry about. Why? Because in his time, he will fulfill that promise. As he said to Abraham, the promise was that he was going to a new land. And Canaan wasn't only what God was talking about. He was talking about the new land called the Holy Christian Church and heaven itself. That's where Abraham is right now with Jesus in heaven. He has arrived at his new land, but it did not take place until he passed away from this veil of tears. So at times, God does answer our promises all the time. But if it's a promise, he will definitely answer it. Where in heaven there will be no sickness, no death, no sin, no grief. We will be there forever. So evangelicals, wake up to the fact what the Bible teaches. If you have a question on anything, email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com because tomorrow is email day when we will respond. Until tomorrow, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.